You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Delicious friends, and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me, your host, Katie Charlewood, history harlot and reader of books. Guess who hurt their back this week? Spoiler alert, twas I. Yes, uh, I hurt it coming out of the car. I didn't trip or anything, my back just decided it hated me, um, because that's what happens when you hit your mid-30s. It was so weird. I think it's probably because I was traveling so much and I I actively try not to hold myself in weird positions because I know like you try and take up less space and your muscles sort of tension, tension, your muscles tense up and I, I do that. So yes, I think that was part of it and I was dragging suitcases along with me and I was running in heels. And I think all of it added up to my back going, fuck you. <laughs> so effectively, I have scoliosis. Mild. It causes me pain, like a standard amount, a regular amount of pain. You know, and it, it's not usually a problem. But then sometimes the back muscle spasm sometimes will hold the way up one side and make it physically impossible for me to do things. So I've been wearing like a back support to work. Although somebody mentioned to me this week, they're like, you know, technically a corset would make a very good back brace. And I'm like, oh, that's a perfect excuse for me to get corsets. And I was trying to make myself feel better by like window shopping online. And I found this amazing like PVC wiggle dress by Deadly as a Female. And I was eyeing it up. And I decided to amuse myself by renaming my PayPal 
which I had just like labelled as tip jar, but now um, it is the smutty little dress fund because I deserve a smutty little dress. So if anyone feels like donating to the smutty little dress fund so I can wear ridiculously smutty outfits on stage or in videos or for weird history harlot photo shoots, the option is there. Link in the description down below. But yeah, it's been a week and I've been exhausted. And I thought, who am I going to cover this week? And I struggled, let me tell you. I struggled because I couldn't get enough research. Because I wanted to do like a fun lesbian. <laughs> like that was my entire plan. But what I want to do, it's going to be like a two episode. Because there's just so much. Because she's amazing. And now I'm thinking, I could do that or I could cut it down for a live show. Because I would happily talk about slutty lesbians. Like it's just such a good, fun time for me. And then I remembered I have a lot of research about popes. Many popes. Some good, some bad, some weird but interesting. And that brings us to today. Because, you know, last week we had a good one. We had William Dorsey Swan. He's fabulous. And this week I thought, let's talk about an absolute bastard. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber-jabber. In fact, me. In fact, you, I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. Our sources are... The Black Prince of Florence by Catherine Fletcher. Cardinal Benedilia Sauli and Church Patronage in 16th Century Italy by Helen Hyde. Church and Politics in Renaissance Italy. The Life and Career of Cardinal Francesco Sorrini by Kate Lowe. The Pontificate of Leo X by William Roscoe. Under the Knife, A History of Surgery in 28 Remarkable Operations by Arnold Vandelaar. Sex and Spirituality in 1500s Rome by Jill Burke. History of the Popes from the Close of the Middle Ages, drawn from the secret archives of the Vatican and other original sources by Ludwig von Pastor, The Medici Popes by Herbert M. Vaughan, and of course we have our favourites, History.com and Biography.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then let's begin. So Pope Leo X did not start his life as Leo X, obviously, or as Pope. That would be weird. He came into the world as Giovanni de Lorenzo de Medici. Yes, I did the accent for dramatic effect. Apologies to any Italian listeners. And he was born on the 11th of December in 1475 in Florence, Italy. He was the second son of Lorenzo the Magnificent, head of the Florentine Republic, and Clarice Orsini. So he was the second son of Lorenzo de' Medici. And being the second son, there's kind of rules. So the first son, he's going to inherit everything. He is your main sort of link in the chain. He is where your lineage, your heritage, your money, that's all going to go down. Him, his side. That's just how things were in the past. Oh, so I'm just saying, this is a random second son. I mean, second son of a prominent figure, but still, second son from 
the 1400s and we have a birthday. Do you know how hard it is to find a medieval woman's birthday? I'm just putting it out there. It's absolutely shocking. But we have Giovanni here. So he is the second son. And the first son, they usually go and, you know, run the family business or whatever. The second son usually goes into the church. Because that would be an ecumenical matter. The second son usually goes into the clergy because that's another place of power. Especially in Italy. Because, you know, Italy, as a general rule, very Catholic. Like, quite a lot of, well, for quite a lot of Europe, especially, incredibly Catholic. For most of this. Definitely Christian, but usually Catholic. So, just as a sidebar, when people discuss medieval Europe, they do not mean, like, Europe as a whole, especially as a geographical concept, because we see geography as this is the line drawn in the sand, this is this area, this is that area, and you know, it was less of a physical geographic location and it was more related to political or ecclesiastical affiliations. Effectively, medieval Europe is. Christian Europe. That's what they mean. So if anybody discusses anything out with that, that's not what they're talking about. That's why generalizations happen and you go, oh, but what about this? Yeah, it's because they're not counting it. Because history is written by monks and stuff. And that's basically what it all comes down to. The monks were the ones writing the notes. So back to them being Christian. So Italy is so Christian that the king of Italy became the head of the Holy Roman Empire, known as the Holy Roman Emperor. Like, that's how much power the church wielded. They had, like, an empire. And a lot of things couldn't happen, sort of, within medieval Europe without the Pope say so, without that blessing, without that power. So there would be political power, which one son would have, and then another form of political power through the church. So one would go through official political channels, and one would go through the religious channels. And it was just a way of ensuring that sort of power. I don't know a better way to put it. Like, it's just covering all your bases. You know, making sure you've got every corner covered. You know, so if you need to put something through, you have these alliances and affiliations and all of these connections. So it was deemed very early on that the second son, Medici number two, was going to have a career in the church. And when he's seven, he ends up getting benefices which is basically rewards for being, you know, good and holy and wanting to do churchy things. And he gets these and his dad's like, just careful now, you don't want to get into like luxury and vices and all this kind of stuff because you want to be like good, 
like a good dude. Ah uh, ha ha ha. This may shock you, but uh, that is not how this story is going to go. It's not going to go at all. So his dad, Lorenzo, being incredibly important, starts, you know, lobbying on his behalf to Pope Innocent VIII to name him the Cardinal of Santa Maria in Dominica. Sorry for the accent, I can't help myself. I should probably add, there's going to be a lot of nepotism in this story. Like, you think there's nepotism, you think you've seen a Nepo baby. No, 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 no. There is not a level of nepotism than sort of Renaissance Italy. Like, the amount of favours and people getting jobs just because, you know, they're related to a Pope is absolutely ridiculous. Like, this has gotten to a point where the Pope has access to all this money and all this power and they're just living it up. Like, half the time. Like, I understand the concept of wanting to help your friend or relative or whatever. But there comes a point where it's not helpful and is just incredibly self-serving. But yeah. He ends up being named Cardinal at age 13. Which I, I feel is just too young to be a Cardinal. Like, he doesn't become a priest. Like, And I think at this point he's... Like, he should. You should be a priest first and then work your way up to cardinal. Like, isn't that how it's supposed to go? You're supposed to go up the steps, up the ladders. You learn your bit. But no, 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 no. Not Giovanni here. No, no, no. He doesn't have to do that. Bloody ridiculous. So he's not allowed to wear, like, the insignia or do stuff in the, you know, in the college until he's 16. Like, they're like, no, 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 you can't be doing that. Which is shocking. So he can be a cardinal as long as he doesn't, like, dress like a cardinal. Like, you can be in our group, but you can't wear the uniform. Bit weird. Bit weird. I mean, he is, you know, a child at this point, so I get it. So, seeing as he can't be, like, proper full-on cardinal, he ends up getting an education at Lorenzo's court. And it is a humanist education, the same one Henry VIII had you know, very well-rounded education, actually. So you're learning sort of arithmetic and languages and music and dance and philosophy, like all of this stuff. I love that I threw dance in there. Everybody had to dance. The Middle Ages, like, you don't have a lot of hobbies. You don't have a lot of opportunities. Like, you're going to be able to work at a party, you know. But he gets a humanist education, and he has, I mean, he's being taught by all of these amazing thinkers like Marcello Ficini, Bernardo Bibiena. Like, he is doing well. And he is studying, on top of all this, he's studying theology and canon law. So he's, you know, he's learning, he's working his way up. Now, when he's 16, he is formally admitted into the Sacred College of Cardinals and is allowed to live in Rome. Now, a month after he gets into the College of Cardinals, his father dies. So Lorenzo is just dead. He's gone. Kaput. 
So Lorenzo passes away and he has to return to Florence to go deal with the funeral and, you know, all of those important things. So he goes and does that and he's dealing with all that. He's grieving, I would assume. God, I hope so. Eek, be bad if he wasn't. So he's doing all that. But then he has to return to Rome because Pope Innocent has died. And so a new Pope needs to get elected. So he returns to the conclave and he opposes the election of everyone's favourite horrible Pope, Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia, who ends up being elected as Pope Alexander VI. Because none of these popes want new names. They'll have to be the 5th, the 6th, the 12th, the 8th, blah, blah, Like, let's have a weird pope. Let's have a pope with a weird name like Chad. Could you imagine a Pope Chad? Ah, oh, come on. Like, that'd be very funny. <laughs> pope Chad. Pope. I don't know. I don't know the names of all the popes. I feel like something silly would be very good, very fun. Pope Tim. Hee <laughs> hee. So he opposes Rodrigo Borgia, and that doesn't work out. So he ends up heading back to stay with his brother Piero in Florence. So a, a lot of stuff is going on at this point. I don't know if you remember our... Um... Now, a lot of this would have been covered in our Lucrezia Borgia episode and our Caterina Sforza episodes about all of the tumultuous crazy shit that was happening in, in, in Italy at this time. So first we have Girolamo Savonarola. I have definitely mispronounced that name. So we have him. And he is this Puritan friar. So he's a monk, right? Think of, you know, the High Sparrow from Game of Thrones. He's Puritan. He's a fanatic. He is a fanatical monk. Tyrannical, some might even say. Like, he is very into austerity measures. Like the Tory government. And he's all about, you know... Poverty is good and pain is good and frivolity is bad and he's just he's just making enemies left, right and centre. Like he's one of the reasons that the Medici's get kicked out of Florence. So he's causing all this shit. And then of course we have King Charles the Eighth of France, who is like invading and just causing shit again in the previous episodes and it gets to the point where there's an uprising in Florence and like they're super into this monk dude and they're just sick of all the shit that's happening and they effectively kick the Medicis out of Florence so this is Piero manages to go to Venice and Urbino and Giovanni he ends up in the Netherlands and France and I, I'm not going to say Germany because it's like German states. So he could have ended up in Prussia, for example. I'm, I'm not sure where exactly in Germany he was, but he was going around. He was, he was getting about. When he's 18, he manages to come back to Rome and he's still very young. And he is received very well by the current Pope, Pope Borgia, or, you know, 
Alexander the Sixth. And so he, he lives in Rome and he's spending time getting to know like literature and art and he's reading stuff. He's getting involved in the art scene, minus the berets and the clicking the fingers instead of clapping. So the Medici's getting kicked out, part of it was a little bit of a power play from, you know, the Pope. Because the Borgias kind of had some issues with them, you know, here and there. And so, off they went. But then, Alexander the Sixth dies. And in 1503, Pope Julius II ascends to the pontificate. And, you know, Giovanni, pretty happy. Cardinal Giovanni there is like, that's cool. Pope Julius is cool. We're cool with Pope Julius. Everything is fine. The very same year something good slash bad, depending on your perspective, happens to Giovanni. Because his brother Piero dies. So, you know, obviously sad that his brother is no longer with him. But also, with him out the way, Giovanni is now the head of the Medici family. And Giovanni, he is getting in good with the Pope. Because when he is 29, that's right, 29 years old, hasn't even hit the big 3-0 yet, hasn't even had a chance to have a quasi-life crisis. No. Barely a grey hair on any of those balls. Yeah, I brought back balls again. You didn't think I was going to do it, but I did. But yeah, he's 29 and he gets appointed the papal legate of Bologna and Romagna. Basically, he's the representative of the Pope in these places. So in Bologna and Romagna, he is the Pope's dude. He is the person you talk to. If you want to get a message to the Pope, or the Pope wants to get the message to you. So he's, you know, he's the middleman. He's Julie the guard dog. So Florence at this point is a republic and it's aligned with the French. So it's sided with them, the Medici's have been kicked out, and Pope Julius has sent Giovanni to basically deal with them. So he's been he's been sent with a papal army to go deal with this. But unfortunately, um things don't go well. So the French end up winning this battle and they capture Giovanni with their retreating forces. So even though they've won, they have suffered such a massive loss that they're just stuck. They have no choice but to just leg it back and run away. And they take Giovanni with them. He manages to escape, head back to Florence and re-establishes the Medicis as like the main guys in Florence, like the the head honchos. Although his younger brother ends up taking proper control at that point. But anyway, they become the most important family in Florence and the French get driven out of Italy. Now, Pope Julius, he is not well. His time on this mortal coil is coming to an end. And so everyone is expected to return to Rome. So then Pope Julius dies, right? And they need to elect a new Pope. Now, 
there are considerably less cardinals there at the the papal conclave in 1513 because you know uh, the French cardinals are not there because of you know the whole invading Italy thing, but with the Medici's and the Sforzas and the ay 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 ay, just wild, absolutely wild, and so all the votes go in, and who gets carried in to the building? But Giovanni, because he is suffering from terrible anal fissures and fistulas. Like, it gets to the point where people are commenting on how bad it smells. Now, it is also commented that his particular lifestyle led to this. Basically, he was doing a lot of uh, butt stuff. Anal sex. You know, sodomy. All the other terminology for it. I don't I don't know, butt stuff just sounds funnier to me, so I'm gonna stick with butt stuff. Even though that feels really childish, but uh, I'm in a lot of pain and I'm on a lot of drugs. Drugs. Ah, it's okay. They were prescribed by a doctor. Yes. And at the age of thirty seven thirty seven Giovanni is elected Pope. Now, the, the story is that some of them felt sorry for him and they didn't think he was going to be around much longer because, you know, because of all of his anal issues. But yeah, he gets elected and he decides on the name Leo. So he is Pope Leo Tenth, And now he is in charge of the church and his younger brother, is in charge of the Medici family. So, over the next couple of days, so this is, this is how quick it was, on the 15th of March, he's ordained as a priest. On the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, he was ordained as the Bishop of Rome. And on the 19th of March, he was officially named Pope. Now, now no offence, that's four days. Over the course of four days, he went through all of the ecumenical stuff, all of the, all of, all of the clergy, like leveling up. Like he leveled up through the clergy with four days. Four days he did it, which is uh, worrying. And so he is known as the young pope, obviously, because he's very young. Have you seen popes? They're generally quite wrinkly. Like, they're they're prunes in human form, you know. They're, they're getting on a bit. And this may shock you, but he is the last non-priest to ever be elected Pope. And I think for good reason. <laughs> now, Leo is in charge and he starts spending money. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the Vatican is hella rich. Like, they are rolling in it. They have so much money. And, you know, people would say to Leo, listen, have you considered being a bit more pious? I mean, he was praying. He would fast before mass and he would do, like, all of the things one would expect um, someone deeply religious to do. So he would go through all of that, but then also would spend a fuck ton of money. So he... (laughs) He spent so much money, like so much money. 
um, to the point that he spent over the next two years all of the money like all of all of the people money and they're like can you maybe not do that and he said ah, fuck that for a game of soldiers i'm gonna just renovate this pitch because what he does is he makes a pornographic bathroom i don't know if you've heard about the pope's pornographic bathroom this is the one this is the secret vatican bathroom full of sort of uh artwork uh frescoes perhaps uh, i think it's a frescoes it's artwork anyway and it's uh it's 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 basically porn. It's pornographic imagery. It's just a big dirty bathroom. It's very funny. So you've got that, and he is um, enlarging the Vatican Palace, and he's ordering like churches and chapels um, to be built around Rome. But he's not just spending on himself. Like he's also forking a lot of money out to charity. So this is where I say like you can be like two things at once. Like you can do good things and you can do awful things. Um, this is why, like, bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things. And some people are absolute cunts like this fella. Because what he does is he decides that not only is he going to spend all the Vatican's money, uh, like, uh, he doesn't give a shit. And he has to find ways to uh, make more money. And he does this by creating new offices and offering these roles to the highest bidder. So you could get a job if you were rich, effectively, instead of being capable or good. And so he started selling papal indulgences. He's giving beneficiaries out. He is just going to town. And it gets to the point that he is just spending so much money and he's not... His outgoings are more than his incomings, effectively. And... He then has to deal with King Francis I. Because King Francis I of France, France, Francis of France, he is um, a little bit power hungry because he wants to regain control of Milan and Naples and he marches to Italy to head an army to just try and take over. And you've got Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. 
What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. The French, the French, the French, I can't believe I do this, the French, you've got the French army and you've got the Swiss army and they're fighting in Marignano and the French take control of Milan and it's, it's just, it's not great. And also, Italy's not too cool with that, the Pope's not too cool with that. And in the meantime, he is trying to deal with a bunch of stuff because he was hoping to put his brother in charge of a lot of stuff. They wanted to make him a powerhouse and to be a Roman patrician. So he was hoping to invest all of his sort of political plans in his brother. He had made him a Roman patrician and he was hoping to really, really get the ball rolling there and really gain power through Giuliano. Effectively, his plan was to put him in charge of the kingdom in central Italy. So he was hoping to have him in charge of Ferrara and Urbino and Piacenza and Parma. And he was just really hoping to get all this going. But then Giuliano dies, or sorry, Giuliano dies, and his son, Leo's nephew, Lorenzo, I know, I know, another name, that gets repeated, he is now, he's now the big boss. He's now where all those, all those plans are going. He is putting all his eggs in one basket. So he's got plans for him. So he deals with him. And then he takes Ippolito, who is his nephew, because he is, but he's illegitimate. So he raises him because that's that's always good to have on hand. Because here's the thing, he's the Pope. He can declare him legitimate anytime he wants. So he has power here. So he's dealing with that. And then the following year, when he's 38, he ends up having a meeting with Francis, of course. And he ends up at the Concordat of Bologna. And it's basically a treaty with France, where Francis I gets the right to appoint all of the churchmen in France, which sounds super fun. So we're in 1517, which is a very, very busy year for Leo. Oh my god, I forgot the elephant. Okay, so when Leo gets elected to, you know, being Pope, he is gifted a white elephant by the king of Portugal because he's trying to stay on his good side, obviously. And it's a big white elephant called Anon, but the Pope calls him Hanno, right? And he loves this elephant more than fucking life itself. Like, this elephant gets treated the best. It has could do tricks, it lives in a gold room, it's just having a great time. Hanno is treated so fucking well, and the Pope fucking loves this elephant. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, he is the way people obsess over their dogs. That's the way Leo treats this elephant. Like, he loves it. He has parties with it. Like, I I cannot tell you how much weird elephant-related history I know. But I, I know far too much elephant-related history. Far too much. 
But anyway, he has it. And he has it for four years. So this is the year we still have it currently. 1517, we still have Hanno the elephant. Still very much living his best life. Now, the elephant is not the only thing he loves. He also spends a lot of special time with certain cardinals, certain bishops, certain friends, best friends, roommates. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But we'll get back to that in a moment. So what happens is Europe, Christian Europe, ends up banding together because they're so afraid of the Turks. So they are terrified they are going to be overrun by uh, the Turks. Is you know, as if they haven't just been like invading all of these other countries and trying to like enforce, you know, Catholic dogma upon them. Like as if that's not a thing. When that was very much, you know, a millennia of things, you know. It's just, it's wild. So there is this like peace between like France and Spain and the Habsburg monarchy and Venice and because they're like want to fight against, you know, the Turks because again, they're worried about someone doing to them what they did to other people. Oh no, if it isn't the consequences of your own actions, we shame, we shame. So yeah. Uh, they end up doing that, but and then there's a little bit of peace for a while. But then, of course, you have Henry VIII, who's like consistently in a deck measuring contest with the King of France. Like him and Francis are just like wasting money trying to screw each other over. So Leo here manages to get one hundred and fifty thousand ducats in order to like. help Henry VIII um, in order to enter the Imperial League of Spain and England against France. Like, they're just trying to fuck it over. And this war lands from, like, February to September that year. But it brings, uh, it does help. It brings up Lorenzo. He manages to get up and does, does well. Does well for himself. Although there is, like, a bunch of stuff messed over and there was supposed to be a crusade, but then obviously the crusade can happen. And this whole war cost him 800,000 ducats in total. 800,000. I don't even know how much that is in today's money. A fuck ton. That's what I know. But uh, at the end, uh, Lorenzo is the new duke. Duke. Duke of Urbino. So, you know, not not the worst way for it to end. But there is a bunch of stuff going on. So they end up having a party, right? And they are celebrating. And they're having a good time. And they're all drinking wine. And the elephant's there. And the elephant is offered wine and it drinks from a goblet. And then, in the middle of this party, Hanno the elephant head starts to wobble yeah starts making noises and then collapses now there's two two stories to this the first being that the elephant was fed gold leaf 
and laxative, which did something to it. And the other is that the elephant was provided poisoned wine. Because the wine that the elephant Hanno drank was supposed to be like celebratory wine for, you know, the Pope and his pals. And so Leo starts getting suspicious. Who, out of everybody, was going to do that to him? But Leo sees what's happening and he decides to tell people that someone is planning to murder him. And he has a reason for that. But first, his beloved Hanno the Elephant gets a full church funeral, a full church service, proper, like, again, really loved the elephant, very much into this. And so he has a massive funeral for it. And then Hanno the Elephant is buried under the Vatican where their bones still lay. Like that elephant is still there. So here's the thing. Pope Leo has a lover, the 26-year-old Cardinal Alfonso Petrucci. Now, Leo has ousted Petrucci's cousin and he is well mad. And so he ends up heading back to Siena, which does not sit well with the Pope. Not at all. So Siena, the town of Siena, it is a a town. It's a city. It's a Tuscan city, technically. Yeah. It is a rival of Florence, which is the Pope city. So they're basically like, my town against your town. So he had put like Siena under the protection of the papacy. So like the Pope's like, I'm looking after that, don't worry about it. And yeah, Petrucci ends up involved in this alliance and he's trying to negotiate retaking the city and Leo was pissed absolutely mad at this he's fucking not with it at all not keen on the situation and so like one is betrayed the other's betrayed they're all pissed off with each other and he decides he wants to get rid of him and he is looking at his elephant he's looking at everything around him and he goes you know what I've got a plan. I'm going to accuse him of murder. And that's what he does. So he ends up sending like a letter to Petrucci offering him safety and security and like, you know, everything's fine. We just want to chat and have a talk. And so he brings him over and he arrives only to be arrested. See, unbeknownst to Petrucci, a bunch of people from servants to surgeons have been rounded up tortured and interrogated and they're all pointing the finger to like this conspiracy of cardinals and you've got the surgeon who's like yeah he paid me to poison him during a surgery for his anal fistulas so like he was just gonna like poison his ass quite literally like that's what he says and then you've got sort of these letters appear saying that this person did this this person did that and and they get arrested and people are shocked and a bit a bit worried 
So all the main players involved, they are found guilty in a trial by a bunch of cardinals, right? So you have Nini and Vercelli and Riario, Petrucci, they're all found guilty. So Nini and Vercelli were hung, drawn and quartered with their bodies displayed on the bridge outside of the Castel Sant'Angelo, you know, to, to prove a point. And Petrucci was supposed to be a few days later. But between these executions and the next round of executions, Leo appoints 31 new cardinals, like doubling the size of the college. Like, since the re-establishment of the single papacy in Rome, like, 60, 70 years before, like, the most amount of cardinals that had been appointed at any one time was 12. But he went for 31, almost as if he was trying to get more people in his corner, right? So he manages to elect, elect, create, amount, it was like four Florentines, Medici allies, in-laws, the Sienese, um, including Raphael Petrucci. So like a rival like branch of the Cardinal's family, Alfonso's family. So effectively, a lot of these older Cardinals that had been there, their power had sort of been displaced and this new college of Cardinals had appeared. So yeah, there was supposed to be an execution for... Alfonso Petrucci like three days after this and the remaining conspirators quote-unquote were just freaking out so Sauli his family goes to France and asks the crown to like jump in in his behalf like the government of Genoa manages to intervene too Castellesi flees to Rome and like loses all of his like good shit um and he gets stripped of being cardinal. He like, loses everything. One of the other conspirators manages to like pull a Siegfried and Roy and tricks Leo X's guards into following like a decoy entourage while he manages to sneak the fuck out of Rome. And Sauli, who's having a bunch of issues, he, because of, you know, the crown and the government lobbying on his behalf, he gets moved to a most comfortable cell. And Riario, his family and friends, are making arrangements to pay his fine. So, like, most fines for this, for the conspirators, was, like, 12,500 ducats. Riario, his was 150,000. Like... The richest man in Rome, Agostino Chigi, like he pays like a third of the sum and Riario gets released and he's exiled. So he's off, he's buckled off to Naples. Sauli is released um, like a week later and he's fined 25,000 ducats and he's confined. He's on home arrest, right? Home arrest, house arrest. And he's stuck in his house. And he loses like a bunch of his stuff and then he dies a year later, so... So, like, throughout all this, Leo makes, was it half a million ducats out of all this, which is 250 times the income of the poorest cardinal in Rome. 
Now, what happens for Petrucci? Like he apparently had said, you know, that he was going to kill the Pope. Yada 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 yada. Which maybe he said in anger. Maybe he said with intent. Who's to say? All we know was that Leo wanted rid of him, and he needed an excuse to do so. And framing someone for murder or attempted murder of the Pope during anal surgery is definitely one way to do it. But as Petrucci is in his cell awaiting his execution, somebody breaks in and strangles him with a red silk cord, which is known as the Turkish method. I mean, that's an intimate death. I mean, I'm not one to give people advice on murder, but that is an intimate, specific death. There are so many other options in so many ways he could have been executed. But that's a deeply personal, personal thing. Maybe it was meant to be an insult. I'm not sure, but it was. it is what it was. Now again, we're still in 1517. And there is a lot of stuff happening. So some of you may know 1517 um, for a very particular reason for the church. And it's because Martin Luther, he takes his 95 theses and he nails them to the church door in Germany. See, seven years before, Martin Luther had actually come to Rome and then seen all the sort of uh, wanton luxury and all of the all of, all of the nepotism and the scheming and just, just the awfulness, he thought, because he was like, this is not good. This is all too much. And so, like, Leo and Martin Luther, they had not, they had not done well. Um, Leo had ended up actually excommunicating Martin Luther, which is weird. Do you know how hard it is actually to get excommunicated? Like, it is so hard to be excommunicated by the church. I've tried. It's not an easy thing to do. So basically, this is the start of the Reformation. And you have like these fractures and these factions sort of splitting up. And Protestantism, Lutheranism, Anglicanism, like all of these different sort of branches appear and they're all going we're not super into the whole roman catholicism right now because of all the dodginess that's happening in the church and all the money laundering and you know making weird crime families happen and also a lot of this weird family tree which is a wreath it's there's a lot of it going on it's it's not good so he is so mad about all of this sort of reformation shit happening that he releases his papal bull, or as I like to call it, his papal bullshit. And he is just so mad, denouncing it all, and so on and so forth. And Martin Luther ends up burning the papal bull that he'd been sent. Because he gets sent because he's like, you need to remove these 41 sentences, which we think are heretical. And you've got like 60 days to do it he's got a deadline right and you know uh he gets this he gets this on the 15th of june but it's not until the 10th of december that he actually just straight up burns the damn thing so he's like he's like i mean that's more than 60 days that's that is but he burns it anyway he's like ooh, just a big show at this point it's a big fuck you to him and and yeah Leo is like, mm-hmm, you know what, um, you are excommunicated. No. 
So in 1521, uh, King Henry VIII, he brings a book, Septum Sacramentorum, is presented to Pope Leo X. And Leo gives Henry the title of Defender of the Faith because he's like so anti-Martin Luther, like he's so Catholic, <laughs> which is funny in hindsight because, yeah, didn't exactly stick with that too long, did we? But then, of course, we have Lutheranism is like spreading into Scandinavia. It is just all over the shop. And is it King Christian? King? Well, the King of Sweden, he's like, okay, I'm going to use this to my advantage to push Rome away because, like, Leo would give, like, rewards and stuff from Scandinavia to, like, people who gave him money and helped him gain more power. So he would do that. And he hinted up, like, not dealing so much with it after a while and he didn't really check it too much because in his later years he was getting he was not well shall we say and so he ended up sort of passing the baton to his nephew Giuliano because of course he did because it's the family affair apparently so he does that and he ends up becoming incredibly fucking ill because he gets bronchopneumonia like the bad pneumonia like so much so much illness should have washed his hands more that's all i'm saying and he is so ill like this comes on like sharp and fast in the end of november and he ends up dying so suddenly that he doesn't get like his last rites so his final sacraments like he manages to not get them so that that's that's not a good sign for him but it's such um, a fast death. Like, like there's like an idea that he got poisoned, but it's pneumonia. Like all of the signs point to pneumonia. And on the first of December, fifteen twenty-one, at the age of forty-six, Giovanni de Medici, Pope Leo X, passes away. And so ends our story of Pope Leo X. Who murdered his lover because he could. And had a pet elephant. And was super corrupt. If you liked my telling of this story, please rate and review five stars. You have no idea how much I hope this is coherent because I'm on so many painkillers right now. I'm not even sure I did it right. I'm not even sure I hit all my notes. I think I skipped a couple pages. But here we are. We're just going to have to deal with it. And next week is going to be better. Because we're going to have fun lesbians. Or at the very least, a super cool bisexual person. There's there's going to be some women loving women in there somewhere. They're going to be fucking amazing. So, uh, I guess you can follow me on all the socials. I'm on threads and whatever Twitter is called now. I'm on uh, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. But you know what? Um, I'm going to give a list next week of like all the stuff I'm on. And the website's getting updated. So do that. Um, it's recommendation time, actually. Yes. So I'm going to recommend the, oh my god, it's Kate Lister's, Dr. Kate Lister. You know when someone says, like, Captain Jack Sparrow, that's like me with Kate Lister, because I'm like, Dr. Kate Lister, I love her so much. So her book, um, The Curious History of Sex, I think that's the name of it, I don't remember, it's really good. I was reading about it today, I was reading it, it was very fun. It was a Valentine's gift that I got in the post today. It was very nice. Anyway, 
that's that for reading for listening i am gonna suggest you listen to the kinky history podcast because valentine's day is coming up and you deserve that and listen to esme because she's awesome and for watching oh there's a documentary called the irish for sex with blind burger uh you should go watch that do that it's on rt go watch it okay and with this i shall bid you good night adios au revoir au revoir my friends bye bye